You know, this uh, past week was spring break for some uh, students, and uh, so when you begin to get to spring break and you're looking forward uh, to summer, my mind starts to drift towards vacations. And I don't know about any of you, but I can feel that little itch to, hey, let's get away. When I was a kid, we had, this, we had a very similar vacation as a family almost every summer. And uh, we would go camping. And uh, at first it started off with a, with a blue uh, pop-up tent. And I remember that tent. And then it graduated to a tent camper. And you know the camper that, I don't know if any of you know what I mean by a tent camper. We called it a, a fold-down. I've heard it called a um, pop-up or a tent camper where it's got like tents on the side of it. But it's a camper. It's a little better than sleeping on the ground. And then when I graduated high school... My parents bought a nice big fifth wheel camper and I'm like, why couldn't we have had this before I leave? Because then I never got to go with them. But, uh, but when I was a kid, we were roughing it. But it was, a, it was so much fun. We'd get there and you'd find the most level uh, campsite you could to pull the camper in, hopefully with a lake view. And uh, we'd unpack as fast as we could, get on the bicycles and make it down to the beach or grab the fishing poles and head to the lake. And we had the best time. And, and inevitably, within about 24 hours of being there, my dad would be sitting back in a, in a lawn chair and he would say the same thing every year. He'd, br- he'd br- breathe a big sigh and he'd say, this is living. That's what he'd say every year. This is living. In fact, if you go camping with him to this day, uh, to this day I guarantee he'll say the same thing. This is living. And for him, that was a, his way of saying, all is right with the world. And he just had uh, the most contented, he, he was so content in that moment sitting around a lake. Now this morning we're going to look at the, uh, the book of Philippians in chapter 4. And what we see here is the idea of contentment. But the, but the interesting thing is, Paul's going to give us an example of not just worldly contentment where we're on vacation sitting in our lawn chair, but godly contentment. Because I'll remind us that Paul's not sitting in on a lawn chair He's sitting in a Roman prison, and yet he still writes these amazing words, words that I think mean so much, can mean so much to us today because we might not be going through the easiest, sunniest days, so to speak, and yet what if we could find contentment in our relationship because we have a relationship with Jesus? We're in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking, this is the last in our series in Philippians, so we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 23. So turn to these uh, verses, Philippians 4, and we're going to be looking again at uh, verses 10 through 23. As as you're turning there, let me just uh, give you a picture of what a Roman prison would have looked like. In in Paul's days, in, in ancient times, They didn't have big stone prison buildings like we think of uh, today. Uh, Prisons, uh, jails, were only a holding place. And uh, then you would go on trial, and if convicted, you have one of two outcomes. You're either going to be put to death, 
or you're going to be put on house arrest. And so sometimes we uh, think of, uh, we speak of Paul being in house arrest, which he is when he writes the book of Philippians. But house arrest does not mean that he's sitting in his uh, lazy boy watching Sports Center eating hot Cheetos. No, house arrest is still terrible. He's, uh, chained to a, he's chained to a Roman soldier in a small room, probably the size of your uh, closet at home, not your closet inside your front door, but you're in your bedroom. It's a small room is my point. And it's not comfortable. And this is what he writes. Philippians 4, 10 through 23. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. There's that last use of the word rejoice. Nineteen times Paul has talked about rejoice or joy. It's the main theme of the book. And he ends on the same note. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever my circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed and hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, whether sitting on the beach or in a prison cell, I add that part, point, but that's the idea. Here's the secret. I can do this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent, uh, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. And, and, may, and, may God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God and Father, glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings, especially belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And that's how Paul closes this book. Let's go before the Lord and just ask him to speak to us as we dig into this. Father God, we commit this time to you. Oh God, what a joy it would be if we could truly come to know the kind of contentment that Paul is talking about here. Because we live in a difficult world. And right now, uh, many of us are facing significant difficulty. Like we're feeling the pressure from the financial times or at work or we're grieving the loss of a loved one. 
uh, we're having a relational conflict or there's just a tiredness in our soul. It's a difficult world, God, and we pray that you would come and help us to find contentment as we understand what Paul is teaching us here in this passage. God, ultimately, it's not Paul, it's not me, it's you, it's your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would impress these words upon our hearts so that we might receive from you what you would have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I said, and as we've said over and over again as we're going through this book, joy is the main theme of the book of Philippians. It jumps off the page over and over and over again. And that's where Paul starts again today. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Paul is so grateful that, uh, that the Philippians have been able to help him out, so to speak. Uh, he mentions a gift that they sent from uh, Epaphroditus later in the passage. He says more than once they've come to his aid. And Paul says in this passage, he says, not that I really needed it, What he's saying, uh, because he says, I know the Lord will provide. The reason he expresses this gratitude, I think primarily is because he is thankful that they've seen him in his need. See, there's something powerful of simply being seen. Have you ever gone through something difficult in your life and there was a person that noticed you in your trouble, in your difficulty, And it made so much that just to know that you weren't alone, that you were understood. A lot of the troubles that we see uh, bubbling up and boiling over in our culture today is because people don't feel like they're seen. Every time there's an election cycle, we get uh, we we hear about how those in the rural areas don't feel like they're seen by those in the urban areas. And so much of the racial conflict that we've experienced in this country is because uh, people of certain racial groups don't feel like they're seen or understood by people of other racial groups. It is a troubling thing to feel like we are not seen, like we're in this all alone or that we're not, ex- uh, that we're not uh, understood. In fact, uh, In fact, as I was thinking about this, I I thought, what does it really feel like to not be seen? To not be seen or to not be understood, to not be heard, makes us feel unloved. Makes us feel like we don't have value, that we're alone, that we're vulnerable, and that hurts so much. And so one of the greatest gifts that anyone could ever give to us is to see us. As we've been going through the book of Philippians, you know, when we, when we started the book, I had uh, in mind I was going to memorize the whole book of Philippians because this is my favorite book of the Bible. I was going to memorize the whole book. I got partway through chapter one. So <laughs> today I was going to quote the whole book. That, so much for that. Uh, but the thing is, I think though I wasn't able to memorize it, I feel like I understand it better now than I have before. Because as we've been going through it, and uh, this, and it, this is a little bit um, personal, you know, I feel like there's been, I've gone through 
a difficult season in my own life. A lot of it was my own hurts and and, uh, things that God was doing in my own life. And it has been, it's been a, it's been a hard last few months for me. The reason I bring that up is because, and this was happened more than once, but I'm thinking of one particular instance where a brother here in the church pulled me aside and, and said, how are you really doing? More than just like the greeting, how are you doing? How are you really doing? And he took time to listen to me and I, and I shared with him and, and, uh, and tried to express what was really going on. That meant so much to me because I felt like someone had noticed and I was seen. It's one of the greatest gifts that you can give someone. There was a woman I, 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 I knew of uh, and she had a tremendous, her, her daughter had a terrible car accident and uh, to the point where she almost lost her life. Her daughter ended up living, but she sat by her daughter's side in the hospital for several months. She was there almost day and night to the point where the hospital let her shower and, and, uh, and eat there. And, uh, and when it was all said and done, so many people had come into the hospital room to visit her and to ask her how she was doing in these things. And someone asked her, you know, through that whole journey, what was the thing that meant the most to you? And she said, it might sound, uh, interest, it might sound a little uh, odd, but the thing that meant the most to me was I was showering here at the hospital, but there was no bath mat. And someone had, who had come to visit me simply noticed that, went to the Walmart, brought me a ba- bought me a bath mat, and put it there without me even knowing it until I had stepped out of the shower. And she said, it meant so much because it felt like I had been seen. My challenge to us uh, from this passage is who can you come alongside of and just let them know that you care? Maybe there's someone that comes to your mind right now that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus, so to speak, and let them know that you've noticed, that you care, that you want to help them out in a little way, taking a walk with them, calling them up, uh, helping them provide for some sort of need in their life. It's a great challenge for us because we're able to be God's representative by meeting someone in their need. And then we might take it a step farther in in that I I notice what Paul does here. He writes a letter to the Philippians and saying, I rejoice greatly that you have renewed your concern for me. Who might you be able to express, write a letter to? Let them know, hey, thank you so much that you noticed me in my time of trouble. You might be, and I might challenge you this week, sit down with a tablet or a pad of paper or sit down at your computer and write out a thank you. It means a lot. Get a card and send it to them in the mail. See, Paul uh, is, so, is filled with joy in the midst of the highs and the lows of life. Paul knows the highs and the lows, and he says that in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul had been to the top of the mountain. 
As he said earlier in the passage, he, uh, in terms of the religious, uh, the, the Jewish world of that day, he was a Pharisee. He'd been to the top. He had uh, all the respect and adoration of the people. He ate with a silver spoon, so to speak, but he'd also known the lows because now he sits in prison with a, with a guard changed, chained to him. And we've been in those situations as well. We've been to the high, we've had the highs and the lows. And right now, I'm very mindful that many of us are experiencing just the idea of economic uncertainty, right? The, the, the news, at the, uh, the lead story uh, every night is either Ukraine or inflation. And those two things can get kind of tied together in the sense because we're experiencing record high inflation and gas prices and then the global unrest makes us think that maybe uh, days that are more difficult coming down the road. As the U.S. Gets pulled, uh, could get pulled more and more into what's happening with Russia, I'm not here to be a doomsday prophet, but there could be difficult, more difficult days coming before us. And Paul says he knows what it is to be in need. He knows what it is to be hungry. He's learned the secret of contentment. Isn't that wonderful that there is a secret of contentment? Very seldomly is there a secret to anything. When you see an infomercial that says the secret to uh, getting rich, there's no secret. If you see a secret to weight loss, flip the channel. When, 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 I, was, uh, when I was in college, uh, I, had, I was getting overwhelmed with all the studies, uh, so much reading. And uh, late at night, I turned on to one of these random channels that had the secret to speed reading, which was very attractive to me as I had so many books to read. And uh, I actually called the number. This was before uh, internet or anything. I, and so all I had was an infomercial on some channel probably in the 50s or something and uh and i called it up on my phone and i and they told me oh yeah with only one class you can read a book in 20 minutes i was like whoa that's what i need how much is it i never got it because not only was i overwhelmed with reading i was underwhelmed with cash and so i couldn't afford it Uh, but it's probably a good thing because there's probably no secret to speed reading either but according to paul He says that there is a secret to contentment. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Here's the secret. Verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's how we are content in any and every situation. When we can say, I can do all this, I can do whatever is before me through him who gives me strength. Now, the word through here, in the Greek, it's a little two-letter word, E-N, <coughs> which we probably should transliterate and translate it in, I-N, because it is a word that, the word that means I can do anything if my life is in Christ. It's not a word of like uh, being spatially in a room, but it is a word like relationally being in a group of friends. Paul is saying, my identity is now in Christ. When I find myself in Christ, I can face whatever comes my way. 
Whatever trials, whatever hardships, that is the secret to, uh, to, being, to contentment is to be united with Christ. Have my identity, my security in Him. The word biblical commenta- uh, commentary translates this verse this way. I have power to face all such situations in union with Christ who continually infuses me with strength. I can do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. I brought uh, my pair of basketball shoes this morning because, and uh, I picked these up. These are Steph Curry's signature shoes. And uh, I didn't buy them at Foot Locker because I don't like to spend over $100 on a pair of shoes. I got these at Ross for like 30 bucks. So, hey, more power to me. Uh, and um, in the ba- on the back of the shoes, uh, Jacob, you can read this. What does that say? I can do all things. And that's in reference to this verse, right? But the problem is, he left off the last two words through Christ. I can do all things. See, sometimes this verse can be misinterpreted as a verse of bravado. I can do all things. No, no, no. You can't do all things. If Paul left off the in Christ or the through Christ, he's still stuck in prison. The victory is not for him to get out of prison. The victory takes place in his heart and his soul to find his contentment in Jesus. Stand up, Jacob. Jacob is my illustration, my next illustration. Turn around. I asked Jacob to wear this shirt because he had it on last Sunday. He told me he shower. He, he washed it. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's pretty cool, huh? I can I is very small. Christ is pretty big, that's good. Me's very big. I wish this was bigger. <laughs> but other than that, I love the shirt. I love the fact that it says through Christ. Uh, he strengthens through he strengthens me. Sometimes I think this shirt is this verse is related to athletics a lot. It gets put on basketball shoes and It's on a baseball shirt. I've seen it on football players' eye black, Philippians 4.13, and they go out in the field, and it's a verse of victory. But the battlefield, uh, the actually, I shouldn't use the word battlefield, the game, so to speak, in terms of athletics, the game is not uh, what is accomplished on the field or on the court or on the baseball diamond. It's what is accomplished in our hearts. You see, what we can say about this verse is whether we strike out or hit a home run, we can still find contentment if we are in Christ. It's a verse not about elevating me with the bravado. It's a verse about elevating Christ in our lives. You see, if we are to live contented lives, it means that our identity, our union is found with Christ And it also means that we rely on Him, His strength, to fill us up. Do you ever wonder, how am I going to get through the next day? And we feel empty. We feel worn out. 
We feel like, especially when we're going through those valley periods, I can't keep going. I don't have the strength. This is a verse that says we can keep going when we rely upon the Lord, when it's His strength through us. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone serves, they should serve with the strength God provides. With the strength that God provides. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And we all know Psalm 23 well. Psalm 23.4, I will fear no evil for you are with me. See, these are all verses that are saying something similar to what Paul is saying here. I can face all these things because I, have been, because I have been crucified. It is now Christ who lives in me, who will strengthen me. And Paul comes back to the same theme here at the end of the verses we read in Philippians 4.19 when he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul was miraculously uh, released from prison at one point in his life. But this time in which he writes to the Philippians was not that time. He was not miraculously uh, released from prison in this this, uh, situation. He stayed in prison, and yet he still found contentment. You see, the victory that we're talking about here in this passage is a victory over discontentment, over hopelessness, over fear and joylessness. The secret to contentment is to find our whole being, our whole existence, our whole identity, all of our strength in union with Christ. It is an emptying of ourselves to be filled up with Jesus. And so to to come back to this idea one more time, To win or lose, we have Jesus. Because our hearts are filled, because our souls are filled, our hearts are content. And whether we live in plenty or in want, we have Jesus. Our hearts are, our souls are filled, our hearts are content. Whether hungry or well fed, we have Jesus. Our souls are filled, our hearts are content. And whatever struggles are front and center in your life right now, you have Jesus. So your soul can be filled and your heart can be content. All of the themes I think that we've been looking at in Philippians come to a crescendo here in this last passage. And so I want to highlight before we close this uh, sermon series and and, uh, complete this uh, look at the book, I want to highlight three themes that we've seen come up over and over again. All of them center around joy. One theme is this. That joy is found in selflessness. When we are concerned only for ourselves and building ourselves up, there's very little joy in that life. But joy is found in giving our lives away to God and to others. We see this in this final passage in the fact that the Philippians are generous to Paul. And Paul is emphasizing that he's relying on the strength of God, that he's emptied himself. Its it's joy is found in selflessness. And then just to look back over the book, uh, 
again, and I won't point out every uh, incident, but first of all comes to mind is Philippians 1, verses 23 and tw- through 25. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul said, I'd rather go to heaven. I'd rather go and be with Jesus now, but for your sake, I'll stay here. It's a life of selflessness. In chapter 2, he talked about having our joy made complete by uh, doing nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, valuing others above ourselves. I want to share one other quote that I think highlights this. This comes from Helen Keller. She said, There is joy in self-forgetfulness. So I try to make the light in others' eyes my son, the music in others' ears my symphony, the smile on others' lips my happiness. One theme is joy is found in selflessness. A second theme is joy is found in union with Christ. That's what we've been talking about this morning in the in Christ that Paul talks about here. But let me remind us of what he says in chapter 3. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them fill in the blank. Eric, do you remember? What is it? There you go. I consider it excrement. I will use Eric's word. I consider it rubbish or dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul says, my whole life, all I want is to know Jesus. Everything else is like dung. Everything else is garbage. It's worthless that I may be found in Christ. And then lastly, and this is the one we'll end on today, joy grows in shared trouble. Philippians said here, Philippians 4 uh, that we looked at this morning, verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And this is such a poignant point for us coming out of the pandemic where we've had beat into our brains, isolate, 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 which was healthy for us physically, but for our souls and our spirit, it is not good. We are... We have the most joy when we are with one another, when we share one another's burdens. It was good of you to share in my troubles. I once read about a guy who had, he said he had his whole life together. Everything was hunky-dory. And then God laid on his heart to adopt three foster kids. And Benjamin Hardy uh, says that after he got the kids, his life became so stressful, hectic, emotionally crazy because these three kids came with so much baggage that it, that it just uh, made everything go haywire. And yet he said, a life of ease, this is what he learned, a life of ease is not the pathway to growth and happiness. It is through shared trouble that we experience joy. And I just say amen to that. Like that's the church, right? It is the idea that we 
share our troubles with one another, that we come alongside of one another, we bear one another's burdens, and in the process, seeds of joy are planted in our hearts because joy grows in shared trouble. And so these are some of the things that we've seen in Philippians. A selfless joy, a united with Christ joy, and a shared trouble joy. And so as we close today, I want us to have an opportunity to pray for one another and the joy in our lives. So we're going to do, a little, we're going to do something a little different today as we close today and for communion. So first of all, everybody grab their communion cup. And now everybody grab their song sheet, okay? And once you've got those two things, uh, we're going to get up and we're going to stand, we're going to make a circle around the perimeter of the sanctuary. So uh, get your song sheet and your communion cup and let's all get up and, uh, and we'll go down here and then down the outside aisle all the way around the back and uh, we're going to make a... a a big circle.